I'm Josh Swartz. And I'm William Millingworth. Host of the High Tech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hi, this is Adam and Dave. We're hosts of the EdTech Distilled Podcast. As educators and as parents, we want to send our thoughts and our prayers to everyone affected by last week's tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. If you're looking for ways to support the Uvalde community, we've included a list of resources in the show notes for this episode. Please take care of yourselves and please be kind to each other. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of the EdTech Distilled Podcast. My name is Adam Geisen. With me, uh, each and every recording is Dave Lurch. Dave. Hello! You thought I was going to say this was a member of the Counting Crows, didn't you? I did! What was his name? Adam uh, Adam Duritz. Adam Duritz. Duritz. In Adam fact, Duritz. I uh, I saw them play, uh, and we'll explain in a moment why we're referencing uh, the Counting Crows. We will Crows, not but, explain that. But I saw them play... Yeah, at the Pilgrimage Festival in Franklin, Tennessee in 2019, maybe? And Adam Duritz uh, still got it, man. He still got it in the vocal yeah. cords. But did he, uh, did he cut his hair? Didn't he cut his hair? No, it was remember. still big. It's still big. Wow. He's still got the facial hair. He looks basically the same, just 20 years older. That's awesome, man. Which is pretty impressive, I think. I wish yeah. I looked like that. I know. I, I, 20 years for me, I was 17, so now I'm 37. Wish I looked like, maybe not, though. I was a pretty uh, gangly looking uh, young man. So, yeah, and well, I'm actually since this is an audio only podcast, um, yeah. you know, anybody can just imagine that Dave looks, you know, like an like Adonis. Fabio, like yeah. Fabio in his prime, mm -hmm. uh, which <laughs> is uh, pretty accurate before he got hit with a bird. So. <laughs> That's a reference. A lot of our young people that listen will get. So what I'm saying I, is Google Fabio and bird. Okay. And maybe don't do that on your work computer. He got hit in the face with a bird. That really did happen though. So was that, our, were they recording it or something? I do. Was he, was he on a horse or something like that? Or did that I don't just, think so. I think he's on a roller coaster. Oh, maybe that's it. Oh, I remember that maybe from a long a time horse. ago. That's a great uh, oh, meme. Okay. We're off topic. Um, let's bring it back in. Uh, so with us tonight uh, is Annie ranking, which we, again, I, as soon as I heard the way you pronounced your last name, my first thought went to Counting Crows and the song Rain King. Um, that has nothing to do with anything, but that's why we were referencing it earlier. So, Annie, thank you so much for joining us, yeah. despite all of this. No problem. And I had never of heard podcast. of the song, so now I'm going to have to Google it after after uh, recording us today. So It's go. a good one. It's a good one. The ending is my favorite part. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, yeah, we'll put, it, we'll put a link to the, the YouTube video in the show notes. So, uh, so anyway, we appreciate you joining us. Like I said earlier, uh, we've got all sorts of really cool uh, stuff to talk about. Um, tonight, you are a doctor. You have written a book. You are on the podcast. Uh, and so we're excited to talk to you about all of those things that you've got mm -hmm. going on. So thanks for taking the time uh, and having a drink with us. Yeah, um, speaking of, while we're, we might as well just hit this now. What are, what are we all drinking? Let's do that at the beginning. Because mine's going to be gone here soon. That's why I'm going to say this. Fair enough. I, I, I have a Moscow mule, so... Just with Knobs Creek bourbon, Knob Creek nice. bourbon, which is the best. Um, and the so ginger Kentucky beer I got from, from and Kentucky I, and I get, that's uh, Kentucky Mill, that's right. And uh, my uh, ginger beer I got from Aldi, so shout out to Aldi. Aldi has good stuff, 
Good stuff. Yeah. Annie, what are you drinking? I am drinking a concoction my husband put together at the beginning of COVID that he calls the summer drink, but it is essentially whiskey and squirt. So it's oh, shot half whiskey and a can of squirt. <laughs> that sounds awesome. That does it sounds is delicious. delicious. I'm uh, sure. So it yeah, is. before I got on tonight, I was like, "You got to make me something." And so he's like, "I'll just put that together a summer, summer drink." drink. Perfect. And that's summer drink TM, by the way. So anyone who tries to steal that recipe, already trademarked there. Okay. So calm down there, you know. Squirt. That is, I haven't had squirt in forever. It's it's been a while. Yeah. It has been a long time. So that that sounds delicious. It sounds like the perfect summer drink. It really does. Uh, But really, you can mix bourbon with anything kind of citrusy and it becomes delicious. It's always delicious, but it becomes more. Well, sometimes more delicious. Anyway, that's uh, so that sounds like a great drink. And now I know what what I'm going to be having later. What are you Uh, slamming down there? I have, uh, this is a local brewery called, uh, this is local in St. Louis area uh, called Heavy Riff Brewing Company. They're out in Dogtown. And it's a beer called the Love Gun. And it is a vanilla cream ale. And it is exactly that. It's vanilla and cream. And it's fantastic. Sounds great. So, yep. We're doing beers Is it based around Kiss Love Gun? Uh, all of the well, all of their stuff has to do. They've got guitars and stuff hanging up, and so everything nice. is kind of musically based. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Very very yeah. cool. It's a great That's place. Fun. They have good food too. So yeah. definitely hit them up. Uh, all right. So uh, we've got a couple things in the what's new category. We're going to run through uh, before we get to chatting uh, with Annie. So we've got uh, first thing on the list is a couple of Google editions, and I did a training today uh, for office staff in the St. Clair County area. Uh, and did some Google stuff with them. And one of the things, actually, I talked about both of these because they're new. Um, Google has added emoji reactions to Google Docs and dropdowns to Google Docs, which I do think is uh, really, really handy. And the way you use them is just highlight text like you would to add a comment. And now it's a new option over there by the comments. So instead of adding a comment or suggesting an edit, now there's an emoji. And you can pick an emoji, and it just uh, it does that. And I can see Annie's trying it right now in our document. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's pretty I just cool. had to make sure that it showed up on mine. Like I had yes. to do an update, yep. or no, it's there. It's That's there. Awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a silly little thing. Like it doesn't mean much, but, um, but I love it, and I'll, and I'll tell why in a second. And so then the other thing is drop downs, which is another way, um, I guess to to add some interactivity to the document itself. So basically, uh, you can go to insert and then choose drop down, and you can create your own little drop down menu, um, which. I think is super handy in that particular case that we were talking about with the school secretaries. It'd be something like, you know, all of your students are listed and then you have the lunch items and then they, you know, a teacher mm-hmm. can pick all the lunches for those kids. And then that document can go to the cafeteria or something kind of simple like that. It's a real easy way uh, to do sort of a picking from a drop down in a document, which is a new thing. I don't think that that there's other documents that uh, are web uh, word processors that do that. Mm-hmm. But what I love about it, and this is kind of what I was telling these teachers or these uh, the secretaries, this, this office staff, is that you know when they're you're so used to doing word or uh, other word processors or things like that um the the process is okay i'm going to type this up and then i'm going to print out 30 copies and i'm going to put it in people's mailboxes right. and like that's kind of the old attitude and the new attitude now and i think google does a great job of this is turning those docs like i'm going to type this up and instead of printing it and making copies it now is to be sent and interacted with and then brought back and it's like a it's a different mindset instead of it being sort of an end product it's a product to continue to interact with. Uh, and, and I think the more Google adds these things to the documents, it becomes less and less like a document and becomes more and more like an interactive website, really. Especially getting rid of the, the pages, and now it's just like the page list design you can have in your docs, and then it's just kind of a website. 
yeah. which um, I think is really, really, really pretty cool. Tr- truly collaborative too. You know, it kind of, it kind of takes away that, um, that, that Google docs is just a digital piece of paper and it makes it something a little bit more. So that's very cool. Yeah. Pretty neat. Uh, the second one I got is one that I actually discovered tonight. So I had another one, but I changed it um, because the, my other one was kind of an interesting knock on iPhones, and I'm not going to do that now. So you can just imagine what it was that I was going to say. But uh, instead, um, I discovered this thing today in one of my emails. Um, a, it's an extension that you can add to Google or um, Firefox, I think, and it's called EPUB Press. So E-P-U-B Press altogether. And basically what it does is it takes all of your open tabs and turns it into a downloadable EPUB file, like .epub, which is a file you can put into um, any reader. Like you could put it into a Kindle to read books or if you, you know, if people have the old school Barnes & Noble Nooks. Do you guys remember right. those? Oh, that was like yeah. my first tablet. I love that of thing. Of course. Yeah, I actually too. rooted that thing and put Android on it and like used it, but it was so slow. It didn't work, so I just ended up buying another tablet. <laughs> but it was cool to do it. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, EPUB files are fantastic, and that's where um, you know I do. I try to do a lot of reading if I can, um, and it's always there's like a million websites. Like I should read that sometime, and I put it in my bookmarks, and then I forget all about it. But if I could have them all like in a book, and then that's what I do, you know, at night before I go to bed or something like that, it would be pretty cool. So that's a pretty neat thing. It's just an extension. Uh, it's free. I'm gonna try. I have not tried it yet officially, but I'm gonna try it. So. Uh, anyway, pretty neat. We'll put the links in the show notes. Uh, my third thing that I think is kind of cool is something else that I found. And uh, Dave, you've got one. It looks like after this that is on a similar vein. Um, but I found an article about scientists at MIT being able to grow wood in a lab uh, and then 3D printing stuff with it. Wow. So they are... It is kind of amazing, really, when you think about it. So they basically um, took normal plant cells and then gave them like stem cell type properties. And so it basically grows wood from these other plant cells. And then then they're going to basically turn it into a 3D printer and print wood stuff. And it's so working, I guess. So, so they're so the they're using instead of like the the wood stuff is the filament yeah. that they're using for three yes. D printing. Huh? Pretty much. Wow. That's so. Cool. Like you can like, print like furniture. A tree. Like what? I'm trying to imagine what like growing wood looks like. I I don't know the way they're describing it. It would be more like like you're printing structures that end up being wood. Like they're like uh-huh. you print a chair or parts of a chair and you put it all together. And so then there's no waste and you've not cut down any trees but you have a wooden chair so like there's no there's no leftover wood there's no wood shavings there's nothing being thrown away Mm. deforestation so like the like the 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 chemical compound of it is like exactly what wood is right right that's crazy but like it's a i guess it's alive like they because they're growing it oh so yeah i guess it would have to be wouldn't it wow that's true. MIT and those those folks out there are genius. So we'll just let and, them do their thing. And and if you work at a school and you have the ability to do so, you really need to if you don't have 3D printers at all, it really is worth getting one just to mess around with because totally. it's it is a it's it's such a, a skill that kids can learn and they can take and they can graduate from high school and have worked with a 3D printer and they can get jobs doing that stuff. They don't have, you know, they can go to college, but they can also 
get experience using those tools. And it's, it's not a very hard tool to learn, uh, you know, refining it and fine tuning. It does take a lot of effort. Um, but you know, just getting started with it, it's not too bad. And there's so many good free open source resources out there. You know, it really is a, it's really going to be the tool of the future, I think. So, yep, I agree on that note. Uh, I do have a, an article similar to that. Um, it has to do with a way that um, somebody in Concordia University, a group of scientists, are looking into a way to do 3D printing. So traditional 3D printing is we have a schematic or design of some kind, and we're going to load in filament, and then it's going to uh, replicate that design using that filament and create it. And you may have to fine tune it and tweak it a little bit so that things are printing the correct way and make sure your 3D printer is leveled and going through the whole process with that. Uh, so this group is, rather than uploading a design and then printing it, um, they're using, uh, like similar to echolocation, they're using sound waves to ping off of objects uh, that then breaks down the design of it and then it 3D prints it with that. So effectively you're scanning an object and then you're uh, you're re reconstructing it using sound waves and then you're 3D printing it. So kind of cool, a neat uh, a cool. neat way to kind of go about doing that. Um, and of course they are, in the article they talk about being inspired by like the way that bats or dolphins use echolocation to kind of see their surroundings or um, some of the ways that like archaeologists will use sound waves or they'll detonate explosives to kind of see below the ground so they don't have to, you know, dig down and damage things that they can kind of see what uh, structures are below them. So very cool, uh, <laughs> cool next step with 3D printing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm excited I, I, about your next one, David, because I've heard of this. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so the next one here, uh, Elon Musk is launching Starlink 2.0. So uh, he already gave up on Starlink one. I, well, <laughs> so I think what Starlink 2.0, uh, what he is alluding to is that this is going to be multiple magnitudes uh, more capable of streaming uh, high-speed internet access. So gotcha. the idea being that um, the I think the bandwidth that's available on Starlink 1.0, this one's going to be multiple powers greater uh, availability with that. So and I think the idea is that he, you know, what he wants to do is at some point is set up those Starlink satellites so that is offering that wireless internet on your trip to Mars or to the moon or to wherever you're traveling in space. And so um, that's kind of the next step, I think, is to give more powerful Starlink satellites. I think uh, the number in the article, it refers to 2000 satellites currently orbiting the Earth. I think the goal is 20 to 30,000 Starlink satellites in orbit. But in order for that to work a little bit better, they need to be stronger and push out uh, more bandwidth. And I, I will say, you know, say what you want about Elon. Um, I think a lot of times he, he can be brilliant, but he also can be very much, um, you know, he, he really likes to, to talk a lot online. But uh, I think one of the things that I, I really like is the concept of Starlink satellites, because uh, you know, working in a rural school district like I do, we we have kids who genuinely don't have internet access. It, it's not an issue of money. It's not an issue of, you know, anything other than availability. There's no place that will uh, cover them out in the woods or, you know, in a rural um, area. And the only thing they can do is get Starlink satellites. And so I think the more they can beef something like that up, the better it is. And especially uh, as they've been using them recently, you know, to provide 
wireless access to people in Ukraine or to people in Africa or other countries where maybe that coverage is not available. Uh, I think anything that's a little more powerful is a good thing. And Dave, speaking of that, so I I know someone who has Starlink. So um, I work with um, Code.org, who um, the the CEO of Code.org is like friends or is in the same circles as Elon Musk. And anyway, somebody I work with at Code.org was signed on as one of the pilot people to use this. Mm-hmm. And I met with him in November. And it is amazing. On his phone, he can track where all of the satellites are. And if there's like a blip in his service, because he's in way world northern um, America, like you can see like, okay, it's going to be here in two seconds. And then I'm going to have a satellite. Like you can see all of the satellites in the world on this like app. It, it is crazy. To, is like, when I heard cool. about it in November and he like showed me the app, I was like, like, again, say what you might about Elon Musk. Sure. This is transformational for really schools, for third world countries. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, I agree. And and if they can boost that coverage, more power to them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, what a neat, neat concept to think that, you know, it, it really does break down that barrier of what internet is. You know, it it's no barrier anymore. You can get it and use it and go crazy with it. So mm-hmm. uh, the, the last article I have here is about social media, which is the worst. And uh, <laughs> it's specifically about how TikTok is testing a clear mode. So that I, I don't have TikTok, I don't use it. My wife doesn't. My daughter doesn't. I know that makes me sound like I'm an elderly man, but um, it, you know, I, I'm kind of apprehensive about using s- some of that social media stuff. And truly, uh, sometimes it comes down to an issue of time. But um, this uh, refers to this article uh, from TechCrunch refers to how TikTok is trying to do something that is a little bit. It's not full of advertisements and other distracting things. So uh, it's algorithm based. So what students or what, you know, you or kids or adults or whomever is looking at on TikTok, what you've clicked on, it's going to try to figure out, okay, machine learning, this is what you're going to, maybe you'll be more into these things. And the idea is that you can kind of clear your screen a little bit more so that things are just giving you what you would want versus giving you a bunch of other, you know, uh, things that you might not be interested in, which might be good, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of encouraging people to spend a little bit more time scrolling through that. So, so is the mm. clear mode, so from your understanding, is it supposed to kind of clear the algorithm that provides you like the random stuff that kind of comes in that you tend to Yeah, watch? it's supposed to streamline it for what you, you would want. So it kind of takes what you've been clicking on and focuses on that rather than cluttering up your screen. So, yeah. mm. which, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't do much TikTok. I think people would be horrified if I was dancing in the streets. So, um, but maybe not, you know, do you, Adam, are you a TikTok guy? Uh, no, I still, <laughs> I, the, one of the funniest things I think now, and I laugh every time I see it is that commercial, um, say. do you know what I'm talking about with yeah. the, with Insurance. May, mayhem that, yeah, yeah, right. And he's out in the street doing his dance and the guy runs yeah. into the back of the trash. Truck. By, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. that is hilarious to me. And I think it's like exactly accurate and I, I do i think more adults should get into it because i think if adults got into tiktok then the kids will get into it less and then it'd be less of a problem <laughs> personally yeah, like facebook right That's right, right exactly absolutely Your grandma's on there yeah yep. yeah well, where twitter's headed for sure it definitely is and but you know then mm-hmm. i we talked about this i think a year ago and you had such a good point adam about how kids are so much more well-informed from 60 second TikToks. You know what I mean? Just, mm. uh, you know, what, what my daughter or what some of my students are able to tell me, it's like, you know, we watch 
10 minutes of student news in class, right? CNN student news. And the kids are so much more informed than I'm like, how do you know that stuff? Like, how do you know what's going on in this country? And it's all because, oh, well, I saw a 60 right. second TikTok. So I don't know. that actually happened tonight. Um, I don't know if you know this, if you follow um, U of I basketball, but um, we just got Matthew Mayer from the kid with the big old mullet from uh, Oregon okay. just transferred. He's like the within like the top 30 players in the nation and, and went to the U of I. And that just happened tonight. And my kids told me and I usually stay pretty up to date with sports right. news, especially local sports news. And so they saw it on TikTok, of course. <laughs> so like there's legitimate stuff on there for sure. I'm not I think there's absolutely a good use for TikTok in in professional ways and education, especially educational technology, there's all sorts of stuff um, that people put little little videos of how to do this and that. I personally just don't. I haven't. I haven't dove into that world yet. That we know of. You might have a lot of dances on your TikTok account. <laughs> It'd be hilarious. Oh my It'd god! Be It'd be so terrible. Right. On that <laughs> note. Yeah. Right. Well, all the, all these links uh, in the show notes, you can check them out yourself because there's some really interesting stuff. And it seems like recently we've really talked a lot about 3D printers, just the mm -hmm. progress that's going on with that. So very I cool. think it's cool. Well, I think at a few a few years ago, the big thing coming to education and especially in ed tech, in ed tech was AR VR. Yeah. Like, and I just don't think that's taken off like no. like it it's has. Cost, and, there's a cost barrier, right? But similarly, 3D printing, which is kind of the same idea, just in real life um, has, has taken off. And I think that's become a really big part of ste the STEM world and education. And I think it's kind of neat and I'm not sure people saw it coming. So mm. I don't know. It's very cool. Yeah. Anyway, you're right. Shifting gears. Um, and I do uh, want to thank you again, Dr. Ranking for coming. <laughs> Dr. Annie. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Okay, Any of good. those work. Perfect. <laughs> uh, but thanks for coming. So you are a, According to Amazon, a four-time published author, correct? Um, officially five. Five. And I have another one coming out at the end of the year. Man. But I need to pause after that one because I am burnt out. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I mean, that's well, pretty I, impressive. And I have to I have to say, we talked a little bit about this off uh, off recording before we started, but um, Dr. Ranking, I had first uh, met her at a professional development for coaches in the county in Illinois where we're located. And so she came in and did a couple hour workshop on one of her books, Difficult Conversations. And it was transformative for me. Your workshop was the book has been amazing. And it has like, as I was saying, in the last six months or so, um, I have realized in education, something we don't do well is don't have difficult conversations. And we don't say no. We don't uh, say no when we disagree with this concept or when we don't want to do something. And my, my wife is, was an educator and she now works in ed tech um, in the corporate sphere. And she always brings up the fact that that was the biggest tonal shift she had as a professional was leaving her classroom, going into the corporate world. And in her classroom, you know, they might have a faculty meeting and sit down and they talk and her, you know, they, all the teachers are talking and you know, this is a problem and people are throwing out ideas, but not necessarily solutions. And when she started working in the corporate world, you sit down and talk, she threw out an idea and five people immediately were like, no, that's not a good idea. Let's move on. And it was like, personally, she was like, I think I was attacked today, you know, and <laughs> she realized, no, that's not how it works. Like, you know, as a professional, you have to be willing to say no. And so I would highly recommend anyone looking for leadership roles potentially in the future or if you're doing that you need to check out the difficult conversations book 
because it it will change the way you view those conversations at schools with adults, with kids, with parents, with teachers. I mean, I, I can't say enough about that. So awesome. Yeah, thank you. And I was telling David when when we started and he said that I said, it's so nice to hear that because you I write these books and I do these professional developments and then I never hear like what happens after like did it impact you? Did you put it on yourself and you then gave it to Goodwill two months later? Yeah. You, you know, like, what is it that happened with it? Um, and so it's so nice to hear kind of what people have done done with the book. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I have a few other books out. Um, most of them are focused on education. One of them is I call it a memoir, but like, I feel like I'm not old enough to have a memoir, but it's a <laughs> memoir um, of, of, um, of, me, uh, and I know this is audio only, a white person, a white mother raising um, a biracial son in central Illinois and what experiences I have had and those types of things. Um, but yeah, most of them are education based. Well, I mean, to pivot off of that, Annie, what's your journey been? So like, how'd you get to where you are today? What, uh, what has that whole, uh, those steps have been? Yeah, so I was thinking about this um, when I was kind of prepping for tonight, and I really, I did not think I was going to go into education. Um, <clears throat> my undergrad is not in education, it's in psychology. Um, I wanted to go into the court system or go to be a CASA or, you know, like work with foster kids, work in social services, do something like that. I did that for a little bit, um, but then I joined um, Teach for America, which I know has good and bad views. Sure. Um, <laughs> But I did do Teach for America, and when people criticize it, I have just as many critiques as I do positives, but I would not be in education if it wasn't for Teach for America. Um, and so with Teach, um, so I joined Teach for America after I did a stint abroad in Kenya. I taught in Kenya for a little bit, came home and joined Teach for America and worked on the south side of Chicago. And I was an early childhood teacher, um, and then I, um, I, then I, so I taught in the city of Chicago and then I moved to Northwest Indiana to East Chicago, which is like a suburb of Gary, Indiana. Um, and I taught kindergarten, second, fourth and sixth throughout different years and different types of things. Um, and then life took a turn. I got pregnant and divorced within the matter of, you know, 18 months. And so I moved back home to where my parents are. Um, and when I moved back home, I felt like I needed something to do. And so I decided I'd get my doctorate. <laughs> Why not? Right. With an 18 month totally, old and totally a, normal. A yeah, divorced, sure. Why not? Um, so while I was getting my doctorate, I taught early childhood special ed. So I still stayed in the early childhood field and very much connected um, to lower socioeconomic students, diverse students, diversity. That's kind of been a common thread through all of my work. Um, and then I needed to work on my dissertation and I could not fathom working full-time and working on a dissertation. So I finally joined the social service world for a year um, and got my doctorate. And I thought, well, the logical next step is to teach in higher ed. I did that. That was an experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, I taught in higher ed for probably five or six years. Um, and that's kind of how I got my footing in in Southern Illinois, kind of getting you know known around around the state um, for my equity work, for really like early childhood work and those types of things. But then the pandemic hit, and I thought, I I can't do this. Um, everyone was one of the questions I know we're going to talk about is trauma. Everyone was experiencing so much trauma that like I just couldn't take on the secondary trauma and be at home educating three kids while my husband was at work. Um, so then I took a turn and I kind of just quit without a job 
But the last year has been, I'm kind of one of those women that if you look at research, like the women left the workforce in like droves during the pandemic and then kind of found their footing. I, in the last year I found my footing and I am a 100% researcher. My full-time job is a research in the computer science K-12 space. Um, and I have loved it. Um, just understanding computer science. I had a STEM background before, but diving into computer science, what it looks like in elementary, middle school, high school. We do go into some undergraduate work. Um, and so just really focusing on researching and providing that grounding um, for for teachers to do the great work that they do, that I've been in the trenches with them. Um, and I feel like I'm I'm better serving as, as a researcher and providing that guidance. Sure. So when you when you talk about computer science with those levels, like what, what do you think is an ideal way? We have a lot of STEM and computer science teachers. So what, what in your mind would be like an ideal way to implement computer science in a school district? If, you know, money or, you know, community or whatever might be holding you up, what, what would that ideally look like to you? Yeah. So the first step that we always kind of guide districts or states towards is to use what's called the CAPE framework to do an analysis of what you have. So the CAPE stands for capacity, access, participation, and experience. So what capacity do you have? Do you have teachers who have a background in CS? Do you have um, the funding for it, right? Like, let's say that you have all of that in place. What's the, you know, like, what's the best way to do it? Um, in elementary, what we have found is um, integrated CT and CS, computational thinking and, comp and computer science. Um, that is what we have found most states are willing and or able to do. In middle school and high school, um, we are seeing more and more around the country of um, of classes, classes that build on each other. So a computer science one class that then builds into computer science two or cybersecurity or CSPA and like the AP classes and really finding that just like you would with algebra one, geometry, algebra two, kind of that trajectory, finding that similar trajectory from middle school to high school um, ha through the work that we've done has been kind of the most influential to um, make sure that under represented historically marginalized individuals feel like they can be part of that computer science world. So hmm. do you, do you think it's something where when, when kids are exposed to that computer science, because I know a lot of times uh, when, when I taught um, STEM or sixth grade science, you know, we might do a unit on it or nine weeks or whatever, you know, we, we can't, couldn't spend the whole year because, you know, we're covering other standards, but do you, do you find that with students, is it better to kind of have those building classes, because I know one of the things that we'd always run into in our school district is um, that issue of kids kind of burning themselves out on it. So do, do you feel like a semester is a good time? Is it a quarterly class? What 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 does the what is your research kind of shown with that? Yeah, for the students who are really, really passionate about it, like find their calling, having those classes that kind of build on each other, right? Like for those kids who really like to, to go back to the math analogy, to find kids who really, really are good in math, and they're going to get to calculus and trigonometry, right? Like, let's have that trajectory. But for mm -hmm. students who um, it's just good for them to have the knowledge of cybersecurity, like most of the things in our house are not secure that that have robots in them, right? Like that have that computer science background. And so how do you know how to set up a password? How do you know how to see if it's a phishing email? How do you like, what are some of those things that are just nowadays just being a 
you know, like a, a citizen of the world. And so be integrating those. Um, so I do, um, part of one of the projects we work on is with CSTA, Computer Science, no, yeah, Computer Science Teachers Association. And through that work, we are building out um, essentially rubrics to see how teachers can um, um, integrate core classes, right? Classes that are required by most states and computer science, because a lot of the computer science, you can fit into other classes, you can integrate it into other classes. So especially for states who are um, kind of on the back end of getting policies, getting mandates in place, those types of things, if you can just show teachers how you can really easily integrate computer science into any other class, um, it, it can be transformational for the trajectory of the students who may never knew, who may never have known that like, you can do this on a Google doc, right? Like, right. I would have never had that experience if I wouldn't have been on this podcast today, right? Just <laughs> catching all of this knowledge um, that comes through integrating into into other subjects. Hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, dude. Uh, well, I was going to say that's kind of the approach we're taking with SEL too. It's um, and not to tie that back in, but I know if, if anyone's listening to this in Illinois, that's a huge push right now in the state. And um, we, you know, our school district has realized there's no possible way we can have one person cover all SEL. So I feel like that blended approach works just like with computer science. That wasn't, that's uh, those are good ideas on, on how to do that. I'm kind of taking notes as we're doing this. So, yeah, well, it's interesting in Illinois, we're seeing two put two separate pushes kind of hand in hand with SEL in one hand and now the computer science in the other hand, as we were seeing all these new requirements, right. um, you know, and, and the district I'm currently at is, is K eight. Um, and our elementary level, uh, we've got a great computer science teacher and he's, he's doing all sorts of really cool stuff. And, uh, we have, um, a pretty 50, 50 population, uh, as far as, uh, demographics go in our district. And, um, he's been doing some really, really amazing stuff with, you know, exposing the kids to, um, uh, to programmers and people in computer programming who are, uh, people of color and people, uh, you know, of different backgrounds. And, and that is such a rare thing. You know, we don't, it's interesting coming from a district that was not really like that much. And like you said before, we were just starting to get into the computer science, the the pathways, the, right. you know, project lead the way uh, to, to name, you know, the program that we had just started. Uh, but to have those sequential, you know, the scaffolding, we just, just didn't exist. And it was a totally different way of looking at computer science. It was like everybody took keyboarding as a freshman. And then if you liked keyboarding, then maybe you took, you know, like a web design class or something later, but it was nothing built on anything else. Uh, and it seems like that's such a common sense way to go about it. But then also to make sure we're addressing, you know, the kids who are least represented. If we can get all those things together, I mean, I think, um, you know, you're on the right path, but it's hard and it's hard to find people. That's right. part of the issue too, is, you know, when you, if you've got a great teacher and that teacher's really great with computer science, then you pull them out of a regular classroom and now put them in the computer science classroom. Right. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's just hard. It's hard to find the people to do, especially in this climate. Oh, absolutely. Well, and we had that problem even with the podcast, because as we've looked at trying to hear as many different voices as possible, you know, it, it's, it's truly a thing in ed tech. It's, it's a lot of the same 
types mm-hmm. of people going into that. I think just because that exposure, that inclusiveness has not been something, unfortunately, that we've that, you know, as a society that we've done. So hopefully that's something that we can start to to make some progress with um, not not to completely move away from computer science. But, oh, yeah. you know, if you check out Andy's um, Amazon, Amazon page, you'll see, a, you know, she has books covering a gamut of of topics. And I know one of the things I think is huge right now for everybody um, is the idea of trauma informed practices. Again, not to, to like share too much behind the scenes, but something our school district is doing for next year is uh, we've been lucky enough to uh, get in this big social emotional learning grant. And uh, we're going to be pushing a lot of stuff. We've got a brand new counselor. Caitlin is probably listening to this. So if you are shout out to Caitlin, she's amazing. (laughs) I have not scared her off yet, even though we've worked together for six weeks and it's been like, you know, you're our new counselor. And I've basically said, you can just do whatever you want. If you ever need anything, tell me, you know, if you're not getting paid enough, it's fine. I'll just give you part of my salary. You know, cause we are, <laughs> we are desperate for this. Yeah. Uh, but we have kind of rolled this out and uh, we have two big goals that we're working on for action plans next year. And one is trauma informed practices. And I think, I think every school district in the United States would probably benefit from some type of trauma informed practices in their district. So, um, Annie, I know you have a ton of experience with this. So, you know, just to speak to our listeners here, you know, what, what would be your suggestions for helping schools, schools get started with, uh, that process of trauma informed practices? Yeah. And I want to say that it's not going to be like a huge lift for many schools because some of many of the trauma informed care strategies are already being implemented in schools. And so I think one of the first things is to um, uh, to research. There are six key areas of trauma informed care, and I'm not going to be able to name them off the top of my head right now. But those six key areas, like a lot of schools are already doing. It's just maybe adding one little piece or tweaking one little thing. Um, And so really concentrating on what you're already doing. So that's one of the things that I think is really important is that focus on your strengths. And now let's look at the areas that we might be able to grow in and let's use our strengths in order to grow in those areas. Right. So one of them is a safe classroom. You have to provide a safe classroom. And so that means that you need to. So this brings in lots of things. You need to make sure that there are. no implicit biases in the classroom, that when something is said in a derogatory way, you as the teacher speak up and say something, right? Silence is silence says something. Um, that you create an environment where students' voices are heard, where students' voices are valued, all of those things. But I think another big piece is to do your research on brain development. Because one of the things, regardless of if you're pre-K teacher or a high school teacher, we think their brains are developed. I've told them five times, they get it. That's not the case when we are in um, when when students have constant trauma, um, which all of us have been living in constant trauma. Um, some of us at a at a higher stress level than others, and so when that happens in a simplistic way, we have stress hormones shoot off in our brain, and what happens is it's called our lid flips. And so basically our learning brain, which is kind of right behind our forehead, and our survival brain, which is kind of right at the back of our head disconnect in a way that all we're trying to do is survive. So if teachers don't have a safe environment, the students that they're working with are not listening to the learning that's happening or the academics that are being said, but instead they are paying attention to every noise and every movement in the classroom because in their survival brain, everything is a threat. The tone of the teacher's voice, 
where people are located in the classroom, the closeness to the door, the, all of those things are something that is a threat um, in kind of the evolutionary wise of survival. And so when we start to really understand how the brain works and what that means for classroom environments, I think we start to um, create these trauma-informed classrooms that, um, I don't want to say built on more empathy, but are built in a way that really focuses on that brain development and social emotional learning. It's almost mm -hmm. being more aware. Like you're just aware yeah. of what you're, yeah, of what you're doing. Yeah. That makes total sense. So with that, with that topic, do you, do you, have you noticed like pre and post pandemic, like has there been a, a big shift in that? Are things different or do you feel like people are just more aware of, of, what maybe they're not aware of, you know, like, are they not doing those things or? Um, I think, yes, I think that there's a shift and I think the shift is, and when I'm doing trainings now compared to a year ago, compared to five years ago, now I'm saying we have all experienced survival mode. Remember month four, when you couldn't leave your house and you felt trapped and you felt like the world was going to end and you still were educating your kids. Like, remember that where you just like, remember those feelings. That is what some students feel all the time, that hypervigilance. Um, and so helping, I think that the pandemic has created a way for teachers who may not have been able to empathize, begin to empathize because we before the pandemic, it was like 67% of people have experienced, you know, like have a trauma in their lives. When we think of the pandemic, it it is it was a type of collective trauma. And so really that statistic, if we really want to look at it, is 100% of people have experienced trauma in different ways throughout the pandemic. And now we're more able to kind of pull on those experiences in order to say, okay, remember that. Now think about a brain that isn't developed, right? Like, what do you think is happening? And how do you think you can create that environment? So those so those children can feel safe, and comforted and feel like they belong and all of those things. It's really, it is really interesting. Because I mean, we we do we totally I, I taught high school forever. And we I always just assume that well, these guys are pretty much adults. And they're, you know, and the things that they're experiencing now, they're just going to remember and they're going to take it on and it's going to help them. But it's really not that's really not the case. It's almost kind of like the way you were sort of describing it. I almost sort of see it as like these kids are like trees. And, you know, when you when you when you take a tree and, you know, if you cut down a tree, you look at the rings and you can see, oh, this ring was during the winter's terrible winter and they didn't grow. And this was, oh, there must have been some kind of disaster. And, here, you know, but like all of those things affected the way that tree grew. It continued to grow, but it changed and it stuck. And like, I don't know, that's that's I, I guess. I just no, I love that. I've never heard it way. explained that way, but it makes complete sense. Yeah. Like that—that that makes complete sense, right? Like, yeah, like we have different rings in our in our life, and they all impact how we end up as an adult. But I think for older teacher, for teachers of older kids in high school, it's important to remember that our brains don't fully develop until we're twenty-five plus or right. minus a few years, right? Yeah. And so for mine's still going. Who, right. So for <laughs> people who are teaching high schoolers, and you think, oh, you know, like they're resilient. Yeah, mm -hmm. we do have really great resiliency mm -hmm. because of the pandemic. However, their brains aren't developed until they're mid they're, they're mid twenties, right? And right. so, really thinking about what that means. Yeah, I mean, that that is a totally different way. And again, you know, we always I don't know. I, and I I would consider myself the 
the trauma that I experienced during COVID was nothing, nothing like what other people experienced. Right. I, right. I mean, I, I, I just, I'm privileged enough to say that I did not have much trauma. Right. And so like, we had a nice time. <laughs> we got to spend more time with my family. Like, <clears throat> like, I hate to say things like that, but that's true. And I, I, I don't think about it that way when I think about what other people experienced you know, people who lost family members, people, you know, who really were totally stuck in their house with nothing, with no one unable to, I mean, like, so it is, it's a totally different way of looking at, you know, when we think our students, everybody's back to normal. They have that whole idea that the that COVID's over and now it's back to normal. And that is absolutely not the case for children or adults who, you know, had more severe trauma than the quote unquote trauma that I had, which is none. Right. But I think I think people are aware of it now. Um, I did a training on right. Flipgrid where I was talking about the benefits of using Flipgrid with students. And I can remember doing this a similar training, I don't know, a year or two ago, and really outlining the fact that with Flipgrid, students are in control of their responses and where they record those responses. Where on Google Meet, you know, they you may they may want to turn their camera off. So I suggested not doing that. That's two years ago. Recently I did a training on Flipgrid. And every teacher commented on the fact, oh, I like this because the students are in control of when and where they're recording that. And so you see that shift. I mean, they're aware of that now. And, you know, it's that that in order for our kids to get better, we have to acknowledge that. And uh, and it, it, there's teachers that I know aren't comfortable with that, but they still have to do it and they're doing it. So that's awesome. And that's a that's at least one positive from that. So <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, Andy, just, uh, before we, uh, kind of wrap up here, um, do you have any like ed tech recommendations for teachers if they're looking to create supportive classrooms or supportive schools for trauma informed, you know, practices, or, you know, if somebody's looking, you know, like, like in our situation, we're looking to create a more inclusive environment for our kids. So do you have any, you know, websites, tools, resources that you would recommend, uh, sharing with our listeners? Uh, yeah, sure. So Flipgrid is, I think, a great one because that control. So that control goes back to one of those six things that I talked about with trauma. Um, if we're talking more about kind of the multicultural education, social justice field, um, it's that idea of providing students the um, the choice Right. And so I don't ha necessarily have a specific website, but giving them the choice of utilizing different websites in order to show their uniqueness and their and their identity. Some other things that I think have come up a lot, especially in the last six months, as, as I've been as people have been transitioning to hybrid conferences, hybrid interactions. And I think it's really important for classrooms is um, during the pandemic, many teachers had subtitles on their screens when they were teaching but we don't do subtitles in classrooms. Mm. Is there a way that you can throw up a Google uh, Meets and there still can be subtitles of what you're saying? Um, because I, it has, talking to people in the accessibility world, that was something that was a huge shift and a great positive, but now we're losing that when we're going back in person. Um, and so being able to, um, Again, the way I do, do it is just throwing up a Google Meets because it will like a Google slide because it will translate for you as you mm -hmm. as you go. Zoom mm -hmm. will do it also if you have that accessibility. Um, but finding ways to provide um, uh, closed captioning during during lessons, I think, is really important. And that's be a great idea. Yeah, somebody needs to make that app. Yeah, 
I'm okay. sure it exists already. I'm it's sure just it's a matter of, like you said, just putting a slideshow up and and having it recognized that way. I mean, you could even do um, it'd be weird, but you could do a Google Doc. Google Docs um, have the voice typing, right. and if you're close enough to your computer, it would literally yeah. just type your words as you're talking. And I'm sure it probably wouldn't be as accurate as something else. But it's I, I will say Google, Google stuff is pretty accurate. That we have. Uh, multiple students with IEPs who the, they're have mechanical issues with their writing or their, you know, our, our special ed team in our department, we're just like, I don't know, turn the voice text on. It works totally fine. You know, the, the, the kicker to it is like punctuation and things like that, but it mm -hmm. does a pretty good job with that. So yeah, very cool. Yeah, it works. It's interesting. Um, yeah, man, that would have been a great thing to have as a teacher, especially now um, yeah. because I have a hard time watching anything on television without closed caption anymore i don't know if you guys do that i'm the same loud. way my kids are the like, same turn it off i'm like yeah. no but like i can see what they're actually saying <laughs> yeah it, i'm totally addicted to it the the kicker is though if you watch uh, a comedy and it will throw the joke up before it actually gets to it yeah and I know, so you that's read pretty the joke funny. Out, <laughs> so like we were watching something and my wife was dying laughing and i'm like oh what did they say and she's like all right read it already so <laughs> uh, well, we uh we actually just went to a wedding um a couple of weeks ago or this past weekend and it, the the priest who was doing the wedding was new to the country he had just moved from africa it was his first um his first wedding american wedding um and he had a thick accent but the this was like an, it's an older catholic church super echoey and so like couldn't even if we could understand what he was saying the echo was killing it and um all i wanted was closed captioning I'm like, yeah. like I know he's saying things that are funny up there, but I can't tell. Like yeah. it was, uh, it was a little painful at times, and it wasn't his fault. That place was just full sure. of echoes. But man, looks happening in real life would be amazing. The okay. best. So, what are we all? Uh, what are we all working on, Dave? What do you got going on in in your free time right now? Two two things, two big things. Uh, I'm finishing up my well, my one of my admin courses right now. Uh, at SIUE. So uh, they're pretty intense. Um, it's a year long program and they're seven week classes. And uh, they, I mean, I can't say enough positive things about the courses thus far. Professors have been great. Um, when I thought I was dying, I, I've been sick for like a month. And so uh, they were very flexible and easy to work with. So anyone who is looking to do their principalship program or anything like that, I, I can't plug that enough. They've been fantastic. And last Friday, I know this is going to appeal to all the dads out there because this is straight up dad rock here. Wilco released a new record. Yeah, I can't all, believe it. That's all I've been listening to for for a week. And it's a country record, but it's not a country record because it's Wilco. And so mm -hmm. it just sounds like Jeff Tweedy with twang. Right. And if you get that, you'll get it. Uh, but I love it. And we've been listening to it nonstop. My wife is sick of it. Um, she's like, enough is enough. I can't wait to see him on the road. They're not coming to St. Louis yet, but when they do, I'm going to get tickets. Mm. Uh, and my wife, my daughter, she's in third grade. Uh, my daughter is excited because she said, I love how sad Jeff Tweedy bird sounds on the new, uh, Wilco <laughs> record. So she said, she told me that she just loves his smooth, sad sound. So yeah. Man, she us. is well beyond her years. We need to get her on this podcast. For sometime. sure. We she'd, should. she'd burn the place down. So. But, that's awesome. Uh, Annie, what about you? What, what are you working on right now? Another book? Besides the next book. Yeah. Uh, next book. Yeah. No, I am working on another book. We're in the, yep. we're in the last um, kind of the last shoot of that with editing and those different types of things. And it's going to be, um, it's a book I'm writing with actually one of my former students who has come on and started doing consulting with me. Um, we are writing a book about how to coach 
education programs through the, the diversity, equity, inclusion, access, belonging process. So from square one, where do you start? And then wh what's the process that you work through um, to become more diverse, equitable, accessible? So in my professional world, that's what I'm working on. Um, computer science world, I'm doing grants, lots of work around the country with that. Um, but in kind of like my personal world, I have a son who's 13, he's in seventh grade, and I am in the preparation because I am chaperoning a seventh and eighth grade bus oh. trip oh, to no. Washington, D.C. and New York City oh for seven gosh. days <laughs> um, oh in a week. So I have been like mentally preparing myself, oh, wow. packing um 52 people on a 54 passenger charter bus. <laughs> holy cow we have to sleep on the bus overnight we we arrive in washington dc at like 7 45 in the morning um so yeah i've just been mentally preparing myself for that wow <laughs> you may you may want to take some of uh your summer drink there right exactly yeah that's really <laughs> that sounds really cool though that does sound cool i'm um, super excited and like yeah. i'm glad it's going because last year it got canceled because of covid and sure, you know yeah. like we're going to, I've been to DC and New York before, but we're going to see things that I haven't seen before. It's, it's going to be a cool experience. It's yeah. just like, I'm old, <laughs> right? Like what, what type of Dramamine do I need to take? Mm -hmm. so I right. Yeah. And a ton of walking. You're going to need some new shoes. Yes. That's right. <laughs> for sure. And we took yeah. our kids to DC when they were about that age, sixth or seventh grade, and they loved it. They just learned about all the, you know, uh -huh. the um, constitution and all that stuff. And so it's fascinating. It was a good time to take them, but that'll be fun. I'm jealous. <laughs> Despite the 52 people on a 54 <laughs> person bus. On a charter bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Adam, what about you? What do you want uh, So uh, I haven't really officially, I don't think, said this on this podcast, but I, uh, I'll i be completing my job at uh, my current school district uh, in uh, about 30 days and then switching over to a new job. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that probably more as it happens. But uh, my current focus right now is finishing up uh, and leaving everything I possibly can. I'm the only tech person in that district. And the person who's replacing me is a teacher in the district. So she's got kind of a leg up uh, in that way, but still a ton of stuff that I got to make sure that I leave in shape, you know, for another person to be able to come in and, and be a smooth transition. And that is a, that is difficult. I thought it would be easy, but it's, it's pretty hard. That's very um, nice of you to do that. Though. Well, um, I feel like it's, I think that it's the only professional thing to do. I mean, I should leave it so that the person walking in had a better walk into a better situation than I walked into. Um, so hopefully she is, but regardless, um, that's my professional work right now. And then uh, my personal work, I am trying to find time to watch Stranger Things and Obi-Wan. Haven't watched, uh, I've only gotten through the first two episodes of Stranger Things. Not I haven't even started Obi-Wan so yet. Yeah. Okay, so don't tell me anything about Obi-Wan well, yet either. And I'm not an Obi-Wan person, but my son is. And so I ended up watching two episodes already today. <laughs> <laughs> my son's like, oh, it's it's great. You'll love it. He's like, you need to watch it. Like, You're going to tell it, me something. Like, Stop talking it, it, about it. You're going to tell me something. It is great. Yeah. But Obi-Wan dies in A New Hopes, just so you know. So remember Darth Vader kills him. Okay, so I don't think I've seen that one. Oh. <laughs> I'm not even I'm I'm not even a fan and I knew that. I'm joking, joking. I'm my okay. gosh. I only watched it like seven thousand times before I was five. My, I think I I think my I uh my, one of my good buddies here in town, Bryce is not listening, but he might listen to this. So shout out to Bryce. Bryce has modeled his beard after uh Ewan McGregor. Uh, Obi-Wan beard. Which so, oh, which one? Which from the from from right from now like, from this episode yeah, from, from right this now. season? So okay. He uh for Halloween every year, 
He has a legit, like, I mean, he dresses and looks like Obi-Wan Kenobi. So he has three kids. All three kids dress as Star Wars characters. He goes as Obi-Wan Kenobi and his wife wears a t-shirt that says happy Halloween. So (laughs) (laughs) every year you can see him coming down the road. He has, he's got the Disney robe, the like $500, like lightsaber. I mean, this Uh was like a legitimate thing. And his wife is just like, I'm not, she's like, Star Wars isn't my thing. So. That's just hilarious. Oh, my God. That sounds about right. Yeah. Well, great. Again, uh, Annie, thanks so much for taking the time. It sounds like you've got tons going on, so we really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us this evening um, to be on the podcast. Oh, that's awesome stuff that you're doing. Those books obviously um, look fantastic. We didn't even really talk about your most recent one, The Implicit Bias, um, and I think that that is also, I mean, just about as vital as everything else that's going on in education today. And so, um, check out her books. We've put a link to, um, the Amazon. If you've got another link, um, to other stuff, if you want to sell it through someplace else, let us know. We'll throw it in the show notes as well. Um, uh, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, for sure. So easiest, best way is to find me on LinkedIn. So it's just okay. any ranking R E I N K I N G or Twitter. Um, and my handle is at AK ranking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure it'll be in the, the, um, episode notes, but yeah, that's the easiest mm-hmm. way to get a hold of me. Um, and yeah, reach out. I love to answer questions and love to connect with people. Awesome. And on TikTok, you are the rain King, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, and I, and I do the, and Adam I do like the, the peanut butter jelly dance with the oh, rain fingers. Yeah. I do fantastic. All <laughs> the rain King one. Cause there's already a rain. There you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Oh, great. So glad you have a sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> He's sending uh, it better with that. So. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, again, thanks again for taking the time. Um, this discussion could go on forever. There's so much uh, so much good stuff to uh, to dig around with that. And you're free to, to use that tree, um, the tree metaphor, if you want, for your next book. Feel free I to steal it. that. That's probably and the just, title of the next book. I think, yeah. 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 We all have tree rings in our brain. That's not yep. that's not good. Don't do that. Don't use that one. Children Let's are not, like trees. Children just like, like ogres tre- are like onions. Yeah. That's a shout out. To <laughs> that's Shrek. right. Shrek, uh, Shrek absolutely. 99. <clears throat> that's a classic film. Okay. So moving on. We uh or not moving on. We're closing up. Let's uh <laughs> try to remember how beer has a different effect on me sometimes than like hard, bourbon man, does. For whatever man. reason, I can drink bourbon like all you night. Need to try and, like, a summer drink. I do that's need what to try a summer the drink. Summer drink. Just get a squirt and a uh, bourbon, a and you're squirt good to go. and a bourbon. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a Fresca and bourbon, bourbon would also Ooh, be good since we're talking about good. old like '90s drinks. So I don't. Do they make Fresca anymore? Is that a thing? I'm sure they do. I'm sure okay. they do. All right, we'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes. Put a link uh, in the show notes here. Fresca, <laughs> so so uh, you can uh, find us here at the uh, EdTech Distilled podcast. You can find us online at edtechdistilled.com. You can find us uh, on Twitter at edtechdistilled. You can uh, check out me. I'm at Adam Geisen on Twitter, and Dave is at Mr. Lurch Class on Twitter. Um, you can also find us on all of your podcast places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Spotify and Pandora and all those great places. Uh, and so thank you again, Annie, for joining us tonight. Thank you all for listening. Dave, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for being healthy tonight and joining us on the podcast. Always. And, and we will uh, catch you all the next episode. Thanks so much for listening.